good morning. Hi, I'm Joe. Uh, you may know me from such creatures as boiler suits and tuxedos. Uh, and uh, I think in a, a mismatch of you know, uh, uh, the, the calendar, here I am again. Yeah, lucky, lucky you. Right, uh, we're going to watch a, a, a short video, a little bit of music. I'm a music teacher to get me kind of inspired about this. Uh, there's a piece of music I thought we could have a quick listen to. Let's go. Christmas. 
Well, the word Alken means arrival. We use the word to look back at like the start of a new season or a, a significant moment. Advent, like the advent of the internet or the advent of the combustion engine. It means something is coming or something arrived on the scene. And in the case we're looking at, something big turned up. It pretty much changed the world. So this morning we're going to spend a moment looking backwards in time. Backwards for me is this way, by the way. And we're going to wrestle with the concept of advent and arrival. And then we're going to switch our view and look to the future and see what advent and arrival might mean to us looking ahead. And then finally we're going to consider what does it mean for us right now? What is arriving right now? What are we expecting for right now? So we're going to jump back in time and we're going to find out about two people who I think lived their lives in the spirit of Advent. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, you can get it out. It's good preach time, but it's going to be on the, the screen as well. And I've given Jonah the day off, so I'm going to read it. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. Oh, by the way, it's verse 25. It says that in so, chapter 2, verse 25 to 13. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents of the child Jesus, uh, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the Lord required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary's mother, This child is destined to cause the fallen and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was eighty-four. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Okay. So let's consider the scene. Mary and Joseph are just trying to meet the requirements of Jewish law, going to offer a sacrifice in the temple in Jerusalem to celebrate the birth of their son. And also to be obedient to these Jewish laws. I reckon they were probably trying to keep a low profile. Get in and get out and don't cause a scene. But while they were there, an old bloke turns up, takes a child in his arms and starts declaring thanks to God and preaching prophecies. Then after that, a woman pretty much does the same and starts telling everyone who's bothered to listen about this infant Jesus, how amazing he's going to be. Now, I don't know what you're like with waiting, but I'm pretty rubbish. Quite often, Helen's working late at the moment in the vaccination tent, left alone with the kids, single parents, tough for me. Uh, and uh, I'm cooking some pasta for the kids, and I might get a little bit bored while it's going on, so they, oh, I'll have a quick game on the Xbox. Now, while that's loading, 
I might just get my phone out and have a look at a YouTube video. And while the advert's going on the YouTube video, I might check my iPad for some emails. I've got trouble waiting. <laughs> Simeon and Anna didn't have trouble waiting. Luke tells us, he doesn't want, Luke doesn't tell us exactly how long Simeon had been waiting for Jesus to turn up. But his prayer gives us the impression that he's of significant age. He says, as you promised, dismiss your servant, please. And Luke tells us that Anna is at least 80, 84 years old. I would suggest quite a milestone for those days. These guys don't need Amazon Prime next day delivery. They're all good. Take your time. Simeon and Anna are Advent people. They commit themselves to looking for and then ushering in God's rescuer. And Luke shows us that Simeon had been given a bigger picture of who God's rescuer was actually going to be. The promised saviour was not going to be some old concrete king, as some might have wanted him to be. Nor was he going to be some universalized politician who could cozy up to leadership and gain power through coercion and persuasion. Soon it had been shown that this Messiah child was going to divide opinion, and that some would speak against him. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be a fairy tale story. It's probably going to be a bit of a rough ride. But this child will grow up to be a man will be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. People born, uh, Jesus was born to bring uh, non-Jews back to God. No longer would they be excluded from God due to their background or their tribe or their ethnicity. Jesus includes all. This child was going to grow up to be a man who would bring glory to the people of Israel. Many in the Jewish nation were oppressed and forgotten. They were on the fringes of society. But Jesus brings them to the centre and elevates those who are downtrodden. And most of all, this child will grow up to be a man who will bring salvation. This child will bring rescue, restoration, deliverance, wholeness, freedom. This child will grow up to be a man that through his curse-breaking sacrifice on the cross will change the course of history and bring the human race back to a relationship with their creator God. Jesus will pay the price for the sins of the whole world through his death and offer redemption to anyone who calls on his name. Simeon had been given a glimpse of what this child would do. And so through Advent, we celebrate this first arrival of Jesus, don't we? We remember that our God is not dormant, nor is he lazy. Our God is active and at work. We celebrate God coming to the rescue by squeezing all his divine nature into the form of a human baby that grows up to be the saviour of the world. Through Advent, we celebrate the first arrival of Jesus Christ that shows God is with us. God has not abandoned us. He's right here alongside us. But Advent isn't just about what happened 2,000 years ago. It's also about what will happen. It's not just about the first arrival. It's about the second arrival too. Throughout his ministry on earth, Jesus talked about coming back. His first time on earth was a resounding success with the sins of the world dealt with through his crucifixion and eternal life assured through his resurrection. But Jesus wasn't completely finished. He promised to come back and finish the job he started. In John chapter 14, verses 1 to 4, Jesus kind of discusses this a little bit. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you, 
Um, no, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place I'm going. Some scholars uh, believe this speech uses a form from a traditional Jewish marriage proposal, where a groom would offer to build a new house for his bride-to-be and some family on the side of his father's family home. For Jesus, we are that bride. Jesus is proposing to us. These words speak of the commitment and the depth of relationship that Jesus offers to those who choose to follow him. This isn't a, a summer holiday romance. It's a forever marriage. And when Jesus does return, what we call the second coming, Jesus will usher in a new age. And we find this beautiful prophecy about it in Revelation chapter 21. It says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. This is a pretty famous passage in the book of Revelation, and it gives us a glimpse of what is to come. This vision of the future is the fulfillment of what Jesus promises his followers, eternal life with God. And this beautiful poetic image seems to bring heaven and earth together in this wonderful and mysterious way. In the vision, God is in full community with his people at the centre of everything, and suffering and pain and hurt and death are all banished. They're over and finished. There's no place for them in God's new age. And when we read this passage, I, I was struck because I, I thought, I what I'm seeing here is the ministry of Jesus blown up to a universal level. Jesus restores community wherever he goes in the Gospels. God gives the new Jerusalem. Jesus is committed to his followers. The holy city is like a bride dressed for a wedding day. Jesus is accessible to all people. Anybody can get to him, can't they, during his gospel. God's dwelling place is now among the people. Jesus healed the sick. There will be no more crying or pain in this new heaven and earth. Jesus raised the dead. There will be no more death or mourning. And so as followers of Jesus, we are looking forward to that reality. We're waiting in the hope of the return of our King, King Jesus, who will fulfill this prophecy and lead us to eternal life. And Jesus is already King. We find at the end of Matthew's Gospel, we won't go into the, the full details of it, but Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. His kingdom is breaking in right now. And it will come to full completion when he returns. Now, if we call ourselves Christians then, we're Advent people, just like Simeon and Anna. We're waiting 
and seeking the second arrival of Jesus that will kick start the age to come but also we're watching and seeing where his kingdom is breaking in right now so let's have a recap Advent is like let's put a bit of feedback we've got the first arrival of Jesus so I, I did a bit of auditioning for trees so here's my, my first tree that's the first arrival of Jesus yeah, there we go. I was going to tell them last, but I can't find the plug for so we don't want to, you know, upstage each tree. So that's the first arrival of Jesus. That's Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And then we've got the second arrival of Jesus. And so that's when Jesus comes back. Where heaven and earth are fused together, and God's going to put right everything that goes wrong. And so we find ourselves our humble little tree. Somewhere in the middle. Jesus comes to earth. Jesus will come back again. We're here. So what are we going to do while we wait? Xbox and YouTube videos? I'm pretty confident that Jesus doesn't want us to sit around surfing the internet and gaming all day. Jesus wants us to be disciples. That means he thinks that we can do what he did. Jesus wants us to be agents of his kingdom that is breaking into the world right now. So how about we take a hint from Simeon and Anna. We jump back to Luke chapter 2. We see these two people living lives of obedience. Simeon is described by Luke as devout in his worship and prayer, earnestly seeking the consolation of Israel. He was seriously committed to God. Luke also tells us that Simeon was open to the Holy Spirit. Simeon had been given a vision of the future, a prophetic word about his saviour child. Simeon was also ready to respond to the Spirit. He went to the temple when the Spirit prompted him to. Anna is described as being dedicated to prayer and fasting. Luke tells us that she never left the temple, but remained there to worship night and day. And when she meets Jesus, she tells everyone around her about him and how he connects to the redemption of Jerusalem and to Israel. I wonder if is she the first evangelist in the Gospels? These two characters model the behaviour that we want to have in our lives. They show us what it is to live in Advent expectation. They prayed into situations. They were asking for spiritual insight into the world around us. And they were looking for where God is at work, fulfilling his promises, and then they were getting involved where they see an opportunity. I don't think this is a new thing in our community, is it? There isn't some brand new radical concept. We've seen it time and again. I had the, the pleasure of being a part of Kids Club Leagues for a couple of years when I came back from uni, and uh, I got a bit of an insight into what how it got set up. It was set up after some people from different churches got together and prayed about the lack of outreach to children in the city. And so they were guided by God to the work of a church called Frontline in Liverpool who had set up a kids club there. 
who then also they've been inspired by Metro Ministries in New York. Now, things could lead to being preaching the gospel and bringing hope to the vulnerable in our city for over 20 years. And it's just one example of Christians praying into a situation, asking God for his inspiration, looking for where he's at work, and acting on the opportunity to get involved. Uh, our Mosaic community in Holbeck is a response to people praying about that area of the city, asking God for his spiritual insight, looking for ways of work, and then getting on board. God using ordinary people to do his extraordinary work of restoring all things to himself. And so, as I finish up today, this is our challenge, isn't it? Where are the opportunities in our community, in our workplaces, in our lives? What situations can we pray into? What can we pray for? Where do we need God's prophetic insight? Are we perceiving where God is active and where God is drawing us to? Where can we make the steps of obedience like Simeon and Anna and get active in spreading the good news of Jesus and building his kingdom here on earth? What can we pray for during this Advent season? Where are the opportunities that God is providing for us as people become open to the Christmas story? I feel this moment is like doors are closed a lot of the time, aren't they? But the door is just open a little bit in this Christmas time. Where can we direct people back to Jesus, the Saviour of the world, who paid for our redemption and is coming back to renew and restore everything? I'll just pray for us. Father God, we praise you for your goodness. We praise you for your rescue plan instigated that first Christmas. And we praise you that King Jesus is coming back for ushering your new world and restoration of creation. As we pray and as we wait, Father, help us to see where your kingdom is breaking. Inspire us by your spirit so that we can be a part of your plan to guide more and more hearts back to you, Father. Help us to be responsive to your prompting and give us the courage to act where you direct us to go. And we pray all this for your glory, Father. In Jesus' name we pray.